Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. We hope the stories and interviews you hear provide some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs across the country, in person and online. Learn more at faithandgrief.org. Today we're joined by Maria Kuban Weitzel. She's the meteorologist for Good Day LA Fox 11 in Los Angeles, and she's also an author. Her new book, You Can't Do It Alone, is our Faith and Grief book club selection for October. Her book chronicles her love story with her husband, Sean, and her grief journey after his death in 2015. Born in Cebu City, Philippines, Maria immigrated to Hawaii when she was 10 years old, studied at the University of Hawaii, and got her meteorology degree at Mississippi State. When she can, Maria volunteers her time speaking to young single mothers about her own experience as a single mom. She enjoys sharing her experience of struggle and success in hopes of inspiring another teen mom to achieve her dreams. 23 years later, after the birth of her first son, Desmond, she remarried and embarked on a new journey of being a mom for the second time. Then in December 2015, after an 18-month-long battle, Maria's husband, Sean, passed away from glioblastoma a rare brain cancer disease. Since then, she has been raising their eight-year-old son, Gus, and is now an advocate for glioblastoma and brain cancer awareness. Maria brings her unique life experience and passion to help tell meaningful and memorable stories, as she has in her new book, You Can't Do It Alone. Thank you, and welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you? I am doing okay. How are you really? That's my new question these days. How are you you know what? I love that. I may steal that from you. That is so good. <laughs> How are you really? Yeah. Um, I'm really, really spent today in ah. terms of my heart. Ah. Um, but that's not to say that I can't speak to you at all. Um, it's been a tough last week. It's really been a tough yeah. previous week. And uh, I haven't felt like this in a very long time. Mm. Strange. It's a strange time. I think for parents, it's especially difficult. Yeah. I, well, I think right now it is. I, in the work that we do, I'm Shelly, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'll just introduce myself. Um, uh, thank you so much. I'm so excited that you're going to be our October book club uh, book. Uh, I've already had people who've already uh, read the book and said, when is she on again? <laughs> and I said, it's not till October. Calm down. Um, the book is it really good. So good. Thank you so much for, for having me on, on, on your podcast. And yeah. I'm really thrilled. And I was telling you that I was having a tough week, but yeah, this, this helps me. The book is really good. I think for a lot of people, um, it, what I like is you've told really good stories. You've shared your love story with Sean and your stories about your son, which is just wonderful. And there's a practical side of the book, which um, not every memoir goes that far. You know, usually it's the story. And I, I think that'll be really helpful for people because so many times in our support groups, as much as people want to share their story, they're also looking for some answers. And yeah. unfortunately, in grief, as you probably know from your book, I can tell, there aren't always answers. Um, no. No. And um, that, that the, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that 
I wish I had a book like this in the beginning. Mm. I, I, I was searching myself. And um, so I hope that it can answer a few of those questions because it's everyone has a different experience and a different set of circumstances and questions. So, yeah, I, I hope this will help. Well, I, I think it will. And it's a very accessible book, which I appreciate too. Um, it, so many times I think uh, we, in grief work, it's kind of one in, one side or the other. It's very much a memoir or it's very academic. <laughs> and I think this is a very kind of good marriage of the two. Um, so it's kind of both sides. And it's, it's an entertaining book too. So, uh, you know, if a grief book can be entertaining, it is an entertaining book. Talking of that, what's your experience been like during this time of the pandemic, both personally and professionally, because you're in a different position being on television and being a meteorologist. Right. Um, Well, uh, I can tell you professionally, it was, you know, it was something that we could kind of see happening Mm. because we were paying attention to what was going on in China and in Italy as early as late last year. And so we we would have some meetings, you know, and we would talk about like, Hey, this is, this is news, but we are also kind of a slave to what's popular. Sure. Uh, that wasn't the popular thing at the time. So it didn't get a lot of press. I mean, we look back now at the end of the year, last year, in the beginning, even of this year, Mm -hmm. it was not in the top three, uh, news headlines, So it was something that we kind of were seeing happening around the world. But even with what we were seeing, we couldn't have um, foreseen this. Right. We, I didn't up on on toilet paper and and paper towels until March, the end of March. And so uh, talk about even though we could kind of see, we didn't really quite see truly what on. So it was a big shock to me and, and, and all of us in, in, in the news. Well, most of us anyway. And so um, it was kind of a scramble with the kids being in school and all of a sudden not in school. And then all of a sudden not being able to go to work. Like w- we were dispatched to our, our home remote locations. Mm-hmm. And that was a whole different kind of stress and uh, trying to get on the air and, and working with the technology we had. So it was, it was a a really heightened, I, I, I I can feel my muscle. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm doing the same thing. I'm all those memories start coming forward and you're like, Oh, I remember, you know, just totally freaking out that, Oh, you know, is there going to be gas at the gas station? You know, just, just the, 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 the panic there at the very beginning. Um, uh, hey, it, it was um, it was surreal and unreal. Yeah. Um, that being said, um, going through what we went through and what I went through in perspective, mm. um, I also took it not as hmm, how do you say I didn't I didn't panic as much as I had in the past when it came to our you know, treatments, our diagnosis, our prognosis, prognosis with, with Sean, my mm-hmm. husband. And so those were terrifying times. Those were legitimately um, terrorizing days for me. And that sense of panic and, and, and stress that I got from the beginning of the pandemic and what the lockdown and even the riots that were going on mm-hmm. in our city here in Los Angeles, 
um, that didn't quite compare <laughs> to uh, what I had experienced with the grief and the loss and, and just going through the harrowing effects of cancer with my husband. So it was all in, in stride and perspective. Yeah. Well, tell me more about Sean. Ah, uh, Sean, 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 Sean. <laughs> I love it when people ask me about him. Um, I still tear up. I still tear up when I say his name. And um, waiting for that day when I don't. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to come, but... <laughs> I hope it will. I've been told that it will. Um, Sean was was such a loving, caring person. He was, uh, I like to think, the better person than me sometimes. <laughs> he was uh, very smart. He uh, made me a better person for sure. He was a wonderful father a wonderful son and brother and friend. And uh, when I met him, I didn't really think that I could have met someone um, as wonderful as he was. And uh, tell me more about that, because in the book, you tell about how y'all met the first time. And it's kind of funny. (laughs) Uh, You know, my, my workmate at the time, she was uh, she was dating a guy and she was serious with him. So they were having their first official dinner party and uh, I'd heard about it. And she said, Maria, you should come. And I said, ah, it's all couples and I'm not a couple. I'm a single person. And I didn't feel like being a third wheel to, you know, this couples party. And uh, she said, no, you should really go. (laughs) And, I said, no, I don't. She goes, no, you should really go. (laughs) And it was like, hint, hint, you should go. And um, I guess I'd heard that her boyfriend's brother was going to be there and he was single. Uh And I said, ah, well, the dinner is a couple. So anyway, she said, well, how's about if you bring a date? And uh, in walks in our other colleague, another anchor on our show. And, uh, he was single too, but we were all friends, great friends. And she looked up at him and she said, John, what are you doing Saturday? What are you doing? And he goes, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> and so that, that was it. So I said, John, you're coming to this dinner with me. So we go to this dinner and uh, it was a fun dinner. I'm so glad that John came with me because it was indeed couples. And it was at the end of the night. I didn't see any Sean. I didn't see any single brother. <laughs> And it was at the end of dessert. It, we were ready to basically disband. We were leaving the table. And in comes a voice and another new voice and another new voice. And it was uh, Patrick, my brother-in-law. Well, he, not then, but now he is my brother-in-law, <laughs> uh, said, oh, my, my brothers are here. Uh, and I thought, oh. And um loud voices came into the door and the loudest one was Sean <laughs> and he made a beeline straight to me and uh, we, he introduced himself and I was just smitten, I think, because he had the biggest smile and the bluest eyes and he was funny and he had this kind of raspy voice and uh, I don't think we left each other's side really that the rest of that night. Poor John. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, he had to and, find something to do while, while you while you canoodled in the corner. Uh, that's because they actually took a photo of us that night. Um, uh-huh. My my. Uh, my friend who was the girlfriend of, of my brother-in-law Patrick at the time. So she took a photo of us, which Patrick framed on our, the night before we got married. And it was the moment that Sean and I met. So when I look at that photo, I think about that night uh, back in November of 20, uh, yeah, 2003. And uh, I know precisely what we were doing and I could see the twinkle in my eye and his, but what was funny about that photo is that John was also in that photo. And I guess Patrick had the hardest time trying to crop him out and blow it up. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, who has a picture of the moment that, you know, you met your spouse or your partner? Very, so. very few people are lucky to have that picture and, and someone to remember to share it with them because, you know. They might have gotten today. It might work because everybody's got a phone to take a picture with. But I love that story, and that's that's one of my favorite stories from the book. Is just how y'all met, and uh, just the fact that your brother in law had that picture and was able to share that. It's those little things I, you mentioned. You know, uh, loving to talk about Sean, and I think that's so important for anyone who's grieving um, to n- say the name of their loved one, to tell the stories because that's. It's how you can share who they were and, and the love you shared. Well, um, it has kind of a, a story book or a movie kind of story, being able to go that way. Now, I know Sean was a creative person. He did uh, movies and some television. He actually wrote uh, a lot of television drama. He wanted to go into the movies, and he was able to realize one of his dreams, which was to write a uh, short film before he died. But he wrote a lot of TV. He wrote for uh, shows like Cold Case. Yeah. Um, he wrote for Oz, which was a groundbreaking show on HBO back yeah. in the day. That the wow. show was not one of my favorites. I told him when we first met, I'm like, ooh, you wrote for that show. <laughs> <laughs> that show was quite graphic and, and I guess yes. very realistic. So at that time, I was kind of uh, taken aback by it. But it's a very good show. I went, I went back, of course, and rewatched it. Um, he wrote for Boston Public. Um, yeah, a bunch of uh, television drama. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. You talk about that in the book, how he got a chance to kind of finish his short film, uh, which I think is so wonderful. Well, speaking of the book, um, what made you decide to write a book? Well, um, like most people, when you are faced with such a cancer diagnosis, a, a terminal mm. illness like glioblastoma, which there is no cure for, uh, you ask those questions of why, you know, sure. you're like, damn it, God, why, <laughs> why us, you know, why him? We, we eat well, you know, we're nice people. We, we go to church. I mean, yeah. what? <laughs> I, <laughs> and so, uh, those questions of why we talked about it and we thought, you know, Maybe, maybe he was supposed to write something about it. Maybe he was supposed to write a movie about glioblastoma because mm. there aren't really movies about brain cancer. And um, I also wore a microphone every day, you know, so maybe we're supposed to talk about it and help do our part yeah. to shine a light on this um, great need to find a cure for glioblastoma. So 
we kind of made a promise to each other that day that, um, that we would do this, that we would write our story in order to inspire perhaps a film or, um, you know, inspire some young doctor to, to go into research for, for brain cancer and uh, just spread awareness. That's great. That's great. Well, I mean, you can tell in the book um, that you guys had a a wonderful relationship. Um, You also um, talk about uh, the day that he died and what Gus's experience was like uh, during the time. Tell me a little bit about that time and how did how did you do that? How did you? Oh, that was uh, that was a difficult. Well, I mean, it was all difficult, but trying to um, consider Gus's feelings at the time was a big part of of um, my mind and w- what I was trying to do. And thank God for our family counselor. She really did help us from the beginning from even the diagnosis and dealing with it as a couple and then dealing with it as a family and then trying to um, share with Gus the diagnosis and then death. Mm. So, so for me, the challenge was, um, you know, how involved was Gus going to be um, at that very moment? Mm. And I just had to tell myself that whatever decision I made at that moment was the right one. And so when that time came that Sean was going to take his last few breaths, we realized it was going to be in the middle of the night. Um, And I debated about waking Gus up Mm -hmm. to uh, come in the room. And he had just turned five at the time. So he was, your typical little five-year-old, you know, he went to bed, said uh, some very special good nights to dad. And, um, you know, I, I, I let him sleep. I made the decision to let him sleep rather than wake him up. And after the funeral home came and, and took Sean, uh, his body, I climbed into bed and, and waited for Gus to wake up. And I told him what happened while he was asleep. He was mad at me. He was, he was mad at me for not waking him up. But um, he, I think, has since forgiven me for not waking him up. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful story in the book. And it's your story. And my thoughts is you honored Gus and you honored yourself and Sean through that whole time. And you gave Gus the space to feel the feelings and to be mad at you. I mean, and that's okay, because there's, you're gonna be mad. When you're grieving, you're gonna be mad. I mean, it, you just, you have to point it somewhere. <laughs> it's not always, uh, uh, make doesn't always make sense. As you know, grief doesn't make sense hardly at all. Um, just <laughs> just some just sometimes. Well. Um, in the book, you talk a lot about support and the community that you became part of. Tell me about um, The Seven Samurai. Uh, like the title of my book, you know, on so many levels, you really can't do it alone. Mm-mm. And these guys, I met them at UCLA Brain Cancer Support Group. And um, my only regret was really not going to this support group sooner because 
the stars were aligned somehow. And that night, my first night there, they were all there. And they all varied in ages, in, um, in, in ethnicities and culture and backgrounds. And um, they all also had spouses who were diagnosed with glioblastoma, obviously. And each one of them systematic, it was so strange how Linda's husband died first and he died in January of 2015. And then it was um, Monica's husband and then it was um, Denise and, and, and then it was Melissa's and Otto. And then, so it was like one by one by one, our spouses died one after the other. And um, I was the last, my spouse died in December mm. and they were lampposts for me on this very, very dark journey called brain cancer. And even with them, even with the support I had, it was such a terrifying path to be on. And I could not even imagine what others have to go through without that support. It must just be debilitating. And it was almost that way for me. And so I hope that the experiences we had can help shine a light for others um, on this path of not just loss and grief, but also caregiving and, and caregiving specifically for a terminal illness like brain cancer. Mm -hmm. um, that's severe because all, can all cancers are bad, all of them. But there's something about brain cancer and any brain disease. It's even, I think, especially painful because it's who they are. You know, your brain is your, is the essence of who you are, really. Mm -hmm. And there are so many different kinds of tumors and so many different ways that a brain cancer can affect you with the symptoms. Um, there's so much to consider when you're caregiving. So anyway, the samurai... Um, <laughs> we had one samurai who is a guy. So it's him and all these ladies. It's, it's fantastic. We get together and we, you know, we laughed, we cried, we, we, we got angry, we drank <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we still do. And in fact, I'm due for a meeting with them. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll get together zoom wise, of course. Yeah. <laughs> In your book, you do talk about that. You talk about um, kind of embracing the joys, the simple things, taking the time. You were afforded, thank goodness, time uh, with Sean before he died, time that you could spend with your family. What did that mean to you? And and how did you how did you capture that? And how did you to how did you treasure it? Uh, um, you know, at some point we did make the turn when we were given the diagnosis for this terminal illness. We, we were distraught. We were angry. We were sad. We couldn't believe it. We were devastated. And then at some point we made the turn and I didn't think it was possible, but we were able to see it as a gift. Mm. And who has the gift of having the, the timeline None of us have that, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
we we all hope to live until we're 100 or 90 something right with a ton of memories uh throughout the years uh but none of us are guaranteed that and i, I gotta tell you working on the news every day i am reminded of that how precious and short life is every day we report on an accident or a shooting or it just taking lives so soon and so suddenly. And so at some point we realized what a gift we had. So we took advantage of it and we laughed. We chose joy. We watched funny movies. <laughs> we um, went on some trips with Gus we went to Disneyland and Legoland. We went to New York. We went to Hawaii. We went to a Tom Petty concert. We went to Bruce Springsteen. We, you know, we um, we just embraced life and we documented it. We we recorded everything we did, and when we couldn't go anywhere anymore, we watched HGTV. We watched, um, you know. Every comedy show, yeah. Yeah, HGTV is a very good uh, background <laughs> uh, thing to be watching. And uh, I appreciated your concern about House Hunters International. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been worried about those couples at one time or another. Uh, are they going to pick the one I would pick? You know, hey, it's just that way. Dumb, they picked the wrong one. <laughs> I know, I know. Sometimes I just don't understand. Um, well, during your grief, what were some of the things that you learned about yourself uh, or have learned during yeah. this time? I'm, I'm still learning a lot about myself. Um, I definitely learned that I am stronger than I thought I was. Mm. And um, I'm reminded of that quite often, actually, when I think I just can't take any more, you know, even this week, this week was a tough one for me. Um, honestly, with, with, uh, being a single parent mm. and trying to work and figure out my son's school schedule and, and being and just being able to learn under these conditions, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm worried sick. And I, uh, I'm, I'm insecure about my abilities as a mom, you know? And so I've learned that uh, I'm stronger than I am. I've learned that my family and my friends are even more wonderful than I thought they were mm -hmm. and <laughs> more loving and generous than I thought that they were. I, and I think that they are already. And... Um, but they're just always there for us. And I'm so grateful. I have learned to communicate better because communication is the key to any relationship, whether it's a romantic one or a family or friends or work, because you have to be able to communicate your feelings and your needs. You have to say what you need. And if you are in need of help, you need to ask for it. So I've learned how to do that. I'm a very proud person. I always was very 
proud of being able to do things by myself and didn't need people's help. You know, I think we as, as Americans, as a culture, we tend to be very proud. And sure. uh, uh, so for me, um, learning to ask for help was important. And so I've gotten better at doing that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that so many times in grief, uh, I, I was speaking with a, an author and she said the one thing she learned that she didn't know she, much like you, is she was a lot stronger than she thought she was. And she goes, I'm actually kind of tough now. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I never thought of myself as tough, but you know, after her husband died, she had to buy her own first car. She had never bought a car by herself. She, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that. Um, and I think you, in grief, it, it changes you no matter what. Um, but it can also uh, really bring out the parts of you that you may not have been as familiar with. Um, good and bad, and, but. but. Good and bad. Um, I, I definitely have been able to forgive more. Mm. I definitely am even more of a forgiving person. Um, definitely don't sweat the small stuff as much. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of forgiveness, how has your faith um, been a part of your grief journey? Oh, um, well, God is a very important part of our lives. Um, I can definitely attribute that to Sean as well. When I say, you know, when, when I said he was a better person than me, he was definitely a better Catholic than I was. <laughs> um, he was more disciplined. And uh, I'll never forget the story. I think we were asked once at some dinner with friends and, you know, we were talking about religion and God and, uh, and we were asked, you know, are, oh, are you guys, uh, you know, do you go to church? And I think I said something like, oh, I'm, we're very spiritual. And John just looks at me and he's like, what? We're very, we're religious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he definitely brought me back to the church in a way that I wasn't as I was before. And so we have a very close relationship with our uh, school and church mm -hmm. and our community. And, you know, the, the priests at our church were a big part of our, um, 18 months going through the diagnosis with Sean and the treatment. They were a, a source for, um, comfort for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, we had a lot of questions for God, a lot of anger, and I still do. You know, it's, it's not a, when we talk about the different steps of grief and all that, it's not steps. It's, it's a cycle in a circle yeah. and you can go in and out of, of one or two or be in it all. You know, I think you can be a loving, godly person and be angry at God at the same time. You can love and, and, and be angry at God. And, and I think that's okay. And, um, you know, we had a lot of questions for our priests, definitely. And like, why is he doing this to us? And why is he punishing us? And, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, Father Eric and Father Frank would, would tell me, you know, God is not punishing you. God doesn't punish. He, um, you know, we sometimes we don't have the answers to the why it's just something we're going to have to have a discussion with him when we get to the pearly gates, you know, so yes. it's not 
this is definitely on my list. Like, why? You know, <laughs> I have a list as well. You know, I have a, I have a lot of questions. I, 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 I definitely do too. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, kind of along those lines, in your grief, um, it, it, like I said, in the book, you talk about the community that comes around you with the samurai and your family and uh, Sean's family, and now your own smaller family. Um, how important has that been, that community for you? Oh, it's it's the key to how I continue to wake up every day and do what I do. Mm. Um, you know, my work family is the same. I'm so mm. lucky that I can have uh, an environment where I work with mostly very supportive people, people who understand um the challenges that life can bring you. And so we try to support each other and help each other get through each day. Um, my, my viewers, you know, the people that watch me every day, they, they're a big part of that too. And social media and, you know, there's some bad things about social media, but there's a lot of good things too. And all of the support that I get from everyone really does feel my energy uh, to continue moving forward, to continue to find joy every day. I mean, you know, for those people who don't have the kind of family unit that I do, you know, you can seek out your family. You can find your samurai, <laughs> uh, find your village. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me what's special about Bruce Springsteen. Well, Bruce Springsteen uh, was definitely a part of our relationship than he know. I mean, if I could talk to Bruce, I could tell him that he was in our relationship, our courting and our marriage, but he was a big part. <laughs> he was there when Sean and I first met and uh, his songs were playing. Uh-huh. And we dated, we went to a few concerts, uh, many concerts actually. Then we broke up for a little while. And then it was Bruce who brought us back together. Ah. Yeah, it was at a Bruce Springsteen concert that I was working one night. Uh, I had to go do a live shot at a Bruce concert. And uh, Sean was there, I didn't know. And he had played the song, Maria's Bed. <laughs> ah. I didn't know here with that song. And uh, so he saw me like down near the stage and he, he was like, oh my God, I think that's Maria. So anyway, it was Bruce who brought us back together. Um, and Bruce has been a constant in our lives and still is. I still listen to Bruce songs, waiting for a new album. Yeah, and, yeah. I think he's I think he's due now, especially during all this time. He's he's yeah, maybe he's had some time to write some stuff. Well, um, in the book you also mention about um running into Joe Biden at oh. church. Tell me yeah. that story. How did that happen? Crazy. Um, so that day I was particularly sad, like extra sad. Like I just, I was having a very difficult time. So we were at mass, like we usually go on Sunday morning. And uh, I remember I was kneeling down to pray. It was towards the end of the, of, of, of mass. And I was just down on praying for a long time. And I could hear the priest sort of make his closing remarks. And then I hear a lot of rumbling in the back, like just a lot of voices chattering, you know, and that was kind of unusual. Usually people are anxious to get out, but not quite that anxious. <laughs> um, and then I realized that people were turning to the back. I got up finally 
Uh, but while I was praying, by the way, I was saying, Sean, David, Gerard, I was talking to Sean in my mind. I'm going, please, I need something. I need a sign from you because I'm feeling really sad and mad and I need you to show yourself, you know, show me something. And so when I got up and I hear all this rumbling, I turn around and I realize that Joe Biden is in church with us the whole time. <laughs> that our priest did make his closing remarks about donuts and everything, you know, at, uh, down the, the oh, sure. <laughs> uh, and he said, by the way, we just want to, you know, thank our special guest this morning, Vice President Joe Biden. So I thought, oh, Gus, we have to go say hello to the vice president. Of course. He's there. And, uh, and I remembered that, you know, Bo Biden had just died just mm. uh, previously um, of the same thing that Sean died from. So he, I remember everyone was dispersing. And so he ran up to the stage to shake hands with the band. We have the best band at St. Paul's. And so they're, I mean, they're, they're amazing. So he ran up there and shook all their hands. And so I ran up to the, to, with Gus and we sit right by the band. That's where we like to sit. And uh, so I, I said to the secret service guy, I said, Hey, do you think we could say hello? And he goes, Oh, of course, no problem. So uh, Joe, I'm, we're on a first name basis. Sure, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So comes bounding down the stairs and he sees me right next to his security um, secret service guy. And I say, hi. And so uh, he comes over and he's like, hello. It's, you know, it's very friendly. And I sh shook his hand. And I said, thank you so much. We wanted to introduce ourselves to you. This is my son, Gus. And um, I wanted to thank you for all the work you do with uh, cancer research. And I know that your son, I'm so sorry. And then I just started crying. I just lost it. And I told him about Sean and how he had the same thing. And his face just changed. He just um, got very uh, focused on us. And he just grabbed my hand and he was like, my dear, my dear, my dear. It was like an instant connection. Mm. And he just, he really was very generous with his time. And he took the time to say hello to Gus and say how much in common he had with mm. him and that he knew other little guys like him and, you know, kind of gave him a little pep talk. And then he just, he just looked at me and he, he, he said, you know, one day, Maria, you are going to smile when you say Sean's name one day. He goes, maybe not now, maybe not next year. Maybe it'll take a few years, but mm. one day you will smile instead of cry. And so I realized then that he wasn't speaking about the fact that he was talking as a father who'd lost, you know, a loved one, but he was talking to me because he had lost a spouse too. Mm -hmm. So he, he really connected with me in that sense. Cause at first I thought he was just talking about not just, but, but I realized and was reminded that he lost his wife and daughter in, in that car accident. So and, and then his son. So it, it was just, a, it was very meaningful. And I, and I think back to that and I go, okay, Sean, that was a good one. That was a good message that you sent for, <laughs> I asked for a good message from you. And that's what he, uh, he sent me Joe Biden. <laughs> well, um, I know you do a lot of work now in brain cancer awareness. Is there anything you want to share about that uh, work that you're doing in advocacy? 
Um, you know, the pandemic has definitely kind of slowed that down for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've just started kind of partnering up with a couple of different organizations. Um, one of them is a, a young guy who is actually a, a former neurosurgeon, and he started a website, and um, I think it's called Cured Glioblastoma. So I want to work more with him and his foundation, and and we need funding. We need research. So few dollars go to research for glioblastoma. I think because at first, it, you know, a lot of people say it's very rare, but it's not so rare anymore. If you really talk about glioblastoma and brain cancer, you are inevitably going to find someone who's aunt or brother or father or somebody died or diagnosed with glioblastoma. So it's not that rare anymore. And it can affect everyone, you know, babies, young, old, you name it. Just, there's no rhyme or reason. So we need to funnel more dollars into funding for this cure. So um, his foundation will do that. I definitely am a big proponent of UCLA. UCLA is a research center. Yeah. And so I try to do some work with them and fundraise and um, tour de peer, another, another organization, the American Brain Tumor Association. So I try to advocate um, as much as I can, um, whether it's telling those stories on, on the news yeah. and trying to remind people about this disease you know, just to keep it in the forefront because um, they need a good PR team, you know, like uh, <laughs> breast cancer has a great PR team. They do. They really do. Yeah. And the, and the other cancers don't always get as, as much attention. No offense to brain, breast cancer, but exactly. um, no offense. yeah, yeah. The, and, uh, they get a lot of press. Yes. Exactly. And, and they did good because uh, those yeah. cases are, you know, really doing well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, heart disease doesn't, doesn't get as much attention, but, but yes, more women die from, anyway, I digress. But the bottom line is that, um, you know, we, we need to, to fund it. So I'm trying to do that. I, I actually got to go to um, Washington DC at some point, um, it was a year and a half ago, I think with uh, Global Genes. Oh, great. And it, yeah, they had a think tank in DC uh, for caregiving for rare diseases. And so I think brain cancer kind of fell in that. So I was trying to um, help lobby for some better health care for caregivers. Yes, which is so important, especially for, you know, there is some attention around caregiving now, probably. And I think in this time of the pandemic, that's starting those, that's starting to come to the forefront because people are caregiving in a different way. Um, you know, all 24 seven in the same house, it can help. It could be a bit much. Um, I think that's one of the things about the book. Um, you know, I was excited to hear about your advocacy work and interest in that. But from the book, um, it's a very hopeful book. Like at the end, you one, you feel like you know you and Sean really well, <laughs> and Gus, for that matter. Um, but it has a lot of hope. So during your grief, as you've been walking this journey, where have you found that comfort or hope? For yourself? Um, I guess, well, when I look at Gus, for sure, mm -hmm. you know, that hope is just alive and well and nine years old right now, going on 19 sometimes. Um, and Gus, you know, I have an older son, mm -hmm. uh, Desmond. He has a little young growing family. They just had another baby. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So my hope is in that little new baby named Max, 
who um, is just a few weeks old. And so hopefully I'll get to go and see them at some point. Um, so hope is in those guys. Uh, they, they remind me. Um, uh, you know, we still, we, of course, we go to church online now. Yeah. <laughs> we all we, do. It's a very strange thing, but yeah. <laughs> but we pray a lot. You know, Gus and I, um, I have, uh, we have the future and, and it's, it's so, um, how, how do you say it's, it's exciting when I look at what's going on. I really have to remember that Sean wanted us to continue living our best lives. Mm -hmm. And I have to remember that. And so I'm not going to let him down. You know, I don't want to let him down in that sense. So we keep going and want to make him proud of us. And um, I got to, you know, just, just find the joy in every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you'd be very proud of your book. I think you would be (laughs) thrilled that you were able to share your love story and your grief journey with other people. And it really will impact um, what they're going through. I think they will resonate and, and see a lot of themselves in what you shared. And you're so honest and transparent through the book, which I think is really, really helpful um, we, we at Faith and Grief, our, our mantra is that we, we provide people with opportunities for comfort and hope, but the, the asterisk behind that is we need to talk more about grief. We need to be comfortable around it. And so that's uh, something I think your book's going to help people do. So oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's a part of life. You know, sadly, we all have to go through yeah. law at some point. So I hope that um, this book will help encourage us to talk about it more. You know, I was part of another part of the book that I wrote about um, was that I was seven. No, I was eight years old. I think I can't remember. I was almost eight when my birth father died. Yes. I was exposed to um, death of a parent myself. So I remember that and we never talked about it really, you know, it was a scary, terrifying thing. And so that was something that I just, me and Sean both didn't want us to go through. Mm-hmm. So we're very comfortable talking about death and, and being dead and grief and loss and life because that's what happens. You're born, then you die. And so I think we've had very healthy conversations about that, you know, Gus and I. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Well, Maria, thank you so much for um, joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for writing this book and sharing your story with Sean and your family. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be on the show. And one last thing I want to say is I want to thank Lauren Schneider, who uh, was a contributing author with me on this book. And she really provided these amazing anecdotes and advice for everybody. So it's not just a story about me and Gus and Sean and our struggles, but she really takes the lessons that we've learned and expands it out universally. So I hope people will pick it up in that way. And, and I wrote it purposely to be short read, right? It was a quick read. And that's one of the things I said earlier was it's so accessible. I think people could read it easily. And because it's broken up between your stories and sort of the advice piece, the more practical side, um, I, I think it'll, it'll speak to a lot of people. 
Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad. Shelly, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. The Faith and Grief Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Donate today at faithandgrief.org.